0: What's going on ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest, repeat guest, Aaron Day, Fat for Weight Loss. how are you man
1: really really good man i uh super excited to be here super excited to talk about all things keto um and yeah it's it's such a pleasure to be back on the podcast i'm <laughs> super stoked to be a repeat guest which is fantastic
0: yeah for sure man i'm excited to have you if for, for a lot of reasons but one your accent is just calms me down man it's soothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so good i, I always get that. Um, you know, I I feel like a lot of
1: people come to my YouTube channel just to simply listen to my accent, and and a lot of people come on the podcast. And there, there was one lady last week; she came on. Uh, actually, it was Brenda from Sugar Free Mum. She said, "My daughter loves your podcast because of your accent."
0: <laughs> and she
1: said, "Oh, Mum, you're going on the podcast with the accent guy." And I was like,
0: "Oh, that's <laughs> that's so good. You need to uh, like." talk with one of these uh relaxation slash meditation software companies and be like and ask if you can be one of the the narrators that reads their sleepy time stories or something
1: <laughs> well I, I could do that i've always thought about bringing out a um a, a video of me just describing vegetables or like just saying the names <laughs> of vegetables there was one video i did and i said broccoli oh and i got so roasted over it broccoli and no, it's broccoli but i said broccoli and oh my gosh i haven't lived it down so maybe what i should do is just go through every single vegetable and uh one it might be a little bit relaxing and two it might be funny too so maybe it's a good idea maybe not probably not
0: no unless man unless how do you how do you say aluminum aluminium Oh,
1: aluminum! Yeah, <laughs> it's it's definitely aluminium for sure.
0: <laughs> no man, I've never. I mean, I've heard it said aluminium, but I'm like always looking at people weirdly when they say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, that was something when I learned as a kid. Like, because so my accent's like a bit of a a mix between uh, English and Australian, because Australian tends to be very nasal, um, but English they instead of saying France they say France. Um, mm-hmm. da- dance, dance, that sort of thing. So I, I grew up with an English teacher, and so I sort of learned how to that the English pronunciation of words like England, England, but um, mix it, mix that in with Australia, and you've got a whole whole host of weird accents going on right here.
0: And you've been in Australia for how long now? Uh, my whole life. So
1: um, I was born in the capital, Canberra, and swiftly left after that because Canberra is a bit of a hole. <laughs> um, mm-hmm and yeah grew up in brisbane and have spent most of my life in brisbane spent some time abroad um which you know maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about that if if you like i i I spent two two months on a bike going through europe but all all things aside yeah grew up in australia
0: you had mentioned that story i think we kind of dove into that a little bit on the last podcast but you basically went to europe and spent two months on a bicycle and that was kind of like you had just left your job or something, if I remember correctly. So it was like just totally, you know, going off on your own and trying to discover yourself, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, we, we we spoke about that last podcast. But basically what happened was I was a software developer for a family business. Um, and I was in the process of building Fat for Weight Loss. And at the time, I was creating meal plans for um, my fellow coworkers because I said, look, you know, um, I need to – uh, I set this goal for myself. I was like, I need to be able to make $100 in one month somehow. And me and my friend were like, okay, well, what about if we just get 10 people? And I said, okay, uh, I've got people around me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, at, at the software company, I I, I started making meal plans, uh, you know, went, went went overseas and came back um, and, you know, started making more pl- meal plans and that sort of accelerated. And, and uh, I guess, this is how I I got here. <laughs> I started off making meal plans, but then turned to recipes because people people want to know how to make the particular things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's been such a crazy journey. I think <laughs> if, if anyone can, uh, I've, I was a musician for a long time, then a software developer, now in the nutrition space, uh, and you learn a lot of things along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I've sort of got a bit of a unique take on what the ketogenic diet is and especially for desserts and breads and a lot of people come to my website for those recipes so um yeah i think that's that's kind of it really
0: no let's let's dive into that man i mean you so this this podcast is gonna go live probably on a friday today is tuesday but your book went out today you said right yep so the keto sweet tooth cookbook
1: has been released today which is the 9th of july um and man, I am so stoked! I, it's it's been such a great reception of the book. People, uh, people love it. <laughs> I, I've been flicking through a few of the the recipes in there, um, and you know the. Oh, okay. So so when I was developing the cookbook, I would send the recipes off to my partner's work. She works um, at, at a university down the road. And all of the the testing of the recipes, I I send to there because you know it's great for you to test it yourself, but you need to have someone else to test the recipes as well. Mm-hmm. The publishers also test it, but um, <laughs> and so they can all finally get the recipes that they've been testing. <laughs> and some of them, some of them were like gold. They 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 came back and and you know she'd bring the the empty cake tin or the plate or whatever it was on. She's like, okay, I've had like four four people ask me to give you the recipe before it comes out in the cookbook. <laughs> but then, you know, sometimes the, there was a few recipes that I had to do a second time because uh, the first tiramisu that I made, man, not good, not good. The second one, totally, totally nailed it. Um, and so, yeah, the the, the cookbook's out. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to be able to um, show the recipes to everyone because I actually finished the cookbook about six months ago uh and it's you know it takes a little bit of time to actually get printed get everything put into a book um and yeah it's it's really really I, I feel like an artist who's released an album and and they've been sitting on it for like because I, <laughs> I used to spend a lot of time with the musicians and by the time an artist has actually released an album they're already on to the next one so they're like oh Oh yeah, that's out.
0: <laughs> so it's crazy, it's, man. So like yeah. a six month turnaround time, or like six month lag time, I guess from from completion to, to publication. Because you went with a with a publisher this time, right? I did, yeah. So Alpha is the publisher, but they're underneath um, uh, DK, and
1: so DK Random House are the same uh, same publisher, really. Um, but yeah, when, when I when I first got contacted, uh, there was a guy called Brooke who's a senior editor at Alpha. And I thought this is a scam. Like no one's going to sign me up for a recipe book. What are they thinking? <laughs> um, and uh, I got on the call and I was like, "Oh wow, he's serious." Okay, now I'm serious. And uh, and so yeah. So you weren't
0: even trying to do the recipe book. They, they reached out to you.
1: No, they reached out to me. Yeah, because they said, "Look, we've been searching through Google. You've come up pretty high um, for a lot of keto desserts, and we've tried a few of your recipes, and I think they're fantastic." And I thought, "Oh wow." Publishers try recipes too, not just <laughs> not just people searching for recipes. It's like you know, yeah. So that was fantastic. So yeah, uh, so I'm a a, uh, a Random House published author, which is just which is just crazy. Like you hear the uh, uh Random House audio productions on if you ever listen to yeah, Audible, yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 through that publisher. So yeah, it's it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, uh, a lot of like the reason why it takes a long time is that they uh, i didn't actually f- photograph this book i'm photographing another book but uh, they have to get the photographer in there and the stylist and the you know the designer and everything um and we specifically put a lot of pictures in the book because there's a lot of books out there that just don't have that many pictures um mm-hmm. and while that's great i think that for desserts especially you sort of have to know what it looks like to be able to make it um and you know describing it and you, you, you can do as many things as you want but when people flick through a cookbook they want to see pictures they want to see what it looks like then they want to you know you, you sort of eat with your eyes first um absolutely yeah and so i think pictures are pretty important so it was good we got some really great pictures for it
0: now the the book i mean it's 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 next level man i mean the pictures are rock solid i mean a lot of the, the ketogenic books in the states use the same publishing company so they look pretty similar they they look really good, but they look pretty similar. Yours stands out for sure because it's a totally different publishing company, you know, different format altogether.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of this. I think it's Victory Belt. A lot of the same um books go through, which is fantastic. But yeah, again, there's there's not a big emphasis on the photos, um, and so that was that was something that we really thought was going to be a great hit. And yeah, I mean, who who doesn't want to see what their dessert is going to look like at the end? Um, you know whether it looks Absolutely, like that yeah. or not. <laughs> it's always, you know cooking's always a little bit of a battle, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can see what it looks like first, uh, and then have a really good idea on how to how to move forward with it, yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic. But the the cookbook also has a bit of an introduction too, so even if you are um, you know just low carb or whether you're not even keto, the the start of the book walks you through the process of. Okay, this is this is the sort of sweeteners you can use. These, these are the ones you can't. Um, these are why we use binding agents. These are the types of flour that you can
0: use. Let's let's dive deep into that, man. If you don't mind, like I, I think that would be a huge value add to listeners, just like understanding the mechanics of why some of these ingredients are pro keto, non keto, why you would or would not want to use some of them.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've got uh, three different aspects that. We can probably talk about, um, and I'll go through them in order because I think the sweeteners sort of come first, and then low carb flours, and then maybe sort of the, the the binding agents and why we need those uh, is is probably good order. So the, the the sweeteners that I tend to recommend now, <clears throat> there, there's other sweeteners out there that are keto friendly, um, but I think they sort of tread on grey areas. Um, mm-hmm. The the ones that I tend to Uh, Recommend uh, uh, stevia, so stevia glycosides, the the extract, um, monk fruit, and erythritol. Now, erythritol is a sugar alcohol, um, and also glycerin. uh, Glycerin, sorry, Uh, and glycerin is not not a very common one, and which is why you can't really find it by itself. But glycerin also is a sugar alcohol, um, but it's a liquid, and you can't. Generally, buy it by itself. So that's why that's why it's sort of like a last of the list one. But those top three, everything else, um, I, I just don't think is is suitable. So for for a lot of people, they think xylitol is is keto friendly, but xylitol actually has a GI value of thirty. And what I mean by mm-hmm. GI value of thirty is that um, when you have something that spikes your blood sugar level, and so you have GI, which is the glycemic index, you also have glycemic load. Um, anything with a GI or a GL value is going to spike your blood sugar levels and then inherently increase your level of insulin, which effectively is going to kick you out of ketosis, which is not what you want. Um, so those those other sugar alcohols, are uh, all of them have a GI value of greater than zero, so they're pretty much all off the card. So erythritol is really the only one if you don't get the GI distress from from erythritol but then you can also use stevia you can also use monk fruit those ones are fantastic now a lot of the artificial sweeteners now I, I, don't, like I don't yeah yeah so whilst they don't spike your blood sugar levels or some don't um i tend to avoid all of them because we don't know enough about them um they tend to gamut damage your gut lining sort of like uh antibiotics would um they're just not they're not great (laughs) so i mean i i tend to avoid all of the the diet soft drinks all of those um you know sugar-free gums that sort of stuff because that it's all it's all sweetened with sucralose or aspartame or uh asphaltum potassium or you know there's there's so so many other ones crazy names (laughs) Yeah. yeah 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 um so i tend to avoid artificial sweeteners but you know for some people uh they they, they help them transition into a ketogenic diet. Uh, you know, for, for, for others, they're just, you know, totally off the cards. And, and for me, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy uh, artificial sweeteners. And obviously, the sweeteners you should avoid, you know, honey, um, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, agave, multidextrin, sucrose, beet sugar, blackstrap molasses, like all those different types of things. They're all going to bl- uh, spike your blood sugar levels. They're all going to kick you out of ketosis, Um, so
0: I would try and avoid them at you know at all possible. Do you have a uh, like? Do you put the stevia, monk fruit, and xylitol on a different pedestal? Like, are they pretty much all you know seen as equal in your eyes, or are they different?
1: Well, okay, so uh, they all have different uses in baking. In terms of health, I would probably put stevia and monk fruit a bit higher than erythritol. Just because erythritol is still a sugar alcohol. And when it's, com- when it's produced commercially, they tend to um, produce it from corn. Now, um, you want to make sure that if you are using erythritol that it's GMO-friendly or it's GMO-free, sorry, uh, because you don't want it made from GMO corn. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And erythritol is present in nature. So it is a natural sweetener, but how they make it generally doesn't make it to be natural so they they produce it from corn and things in nature it it comes from uh, uh, when fruits and vegetables break down when they go through that digestion process that's when erythritol is is expelled but in nature it's not found as as much as you would use like (laughs) you wouldn't use three quarters of a cup of erythritol you wouldn't find that in nature it just doesn't exist but i guess the same with stevia
0: really yeah and then the stevia and the monk fruit how are those produced? I'm just going to do like a little history lesson on, on sweeteners real quick.
1: Yeah, sure. So, well, I mean, stevia is sourced from South America and it has been for like 1,500 years. Uh, It's not digested by, by the body, but how it's produced is it's it's the leaves of the plant, so the leaves of the stevia plant are, are, are like are refined down into an extract. And they take the, like the active ingredient in stevia is stevia glycosides. They take that out um and that's the sweet part but the you know the side benefit of stevia is it's quite bitter so um a lot of people who don't like the bitter taste of stevia tend to avoid it and will stick more with uh with erythritol or monk fruit um so yeah i mean stevia has a really good antibacterial effect as well so stevia has been used to treat lyme's disease now obviously this is not medical advice, um, so definitely speak to your doctor if you do have Lyme's disease. But using stevia uh, has been found to be an effective agent in treating Lyme's disease, which is pretty crazy, uh, FDA-approved. Mm. Um, monk fruit uh, or Buddha fruit has been used uh, since the 13th century in South China. So it's been used for so, 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 so long in um, in Eastern medicine and so the active component of monk fruit so that monk fruit's like a, a little fruit and they they basically refine it down uh, to mogrosides which is part of the glycosides group as well um it's it's 70% as sweet as sugar uh, whereas stevia is like 250 times the sweetness of sugar um yeah i mean monk fruit's been used in traditional chinese medicine for ages and again it's fda approved so those are the the two ones that uh, my favorites however when it comes to baking um, when you when you're replacing like, if, if you think about um, cookies like your your ordinary cookies you put one cup of sugar in there it relies on the fact that the sugar actually melts and so those cookies will melt in the in the oven right if you use stevia those cookies will be rock hard still because there's a certain property to sugar that is really hard to replicate when it comes to, um, to baking, and so that's where erythritol comes in. And er- erythritol, um, yeah, I mean, as I said before, it's naturally found in fruits and vegetables and wine as well. But it's mainly used for replacing the physical properties of sugar. Um, and whilst you can't replace the physical properties altogether, uh, it's it's a pretty similar substitute and the, the the one time where i couldn't get it to work was trying to make um chinese fortune cookies you know the fortune cookies that you get a chance yeah, yeah Astron- you break them yeah so that is the property of sugar right there that is sugar and i can't remember the other ingredient but the reason why they set so hard is sugar you can't do that with stevia You can't do that with monk fruit and turns out you also can't do that with erythritol (laughs) i tried so many times but it doesn't work um so i mean like yeah sugar's really hard to replace um in in baking but erythritol is is the best option there because um because it has that bulking agent so i mean i i I tend to err on the, the edge of stevia and monk fruit more But erythritol comes in handy when you're trying to replace those physical properties.
0: I know that xylitol's got the higher glycemic index, but is there any physical properties of xylitol that makes it more similar to sugar than erythritol?
1: No, it's the same. So it's still a sugar alcohol, so it'll still behave the same as erythritol. Um, I I don't use xylitol as much because xylitol is pretty toxic for animals, so dogs, cats. Um, And because I've got a cat in the house, I just tend to avoid um xylitol altogether, together and i know that a lot of people have the the same reasons um yeah so i haven't played around with xylitol as much but my understanding would be is that because it's still a sugar alcohol it doesn't have that setting quality um, because it's it's going to be an alcohol so it's going to have that like erythritol has a little bit of a cooling aftertaste mm-hmm. um, xylitol is probably the best tasting sugar substitute um, but again it's got a GI value of 30, so I just tend to avoid it. Um, but yeah, I mean, w- what a lot of companies do is that they combine erythritol and stevia or erythritol and monk fruit. Um, erythritol and monk fruit is actually a really, really good combination because stevia by itself is bitter, erythritol by itself is cooling. And what happens when they go together is that you don't need to use as much because stevia is super sweet, Erythritol's is uh, 70% as sweet as sugar. You combine those together you're using less erythritol with a little bit of stevia added to it you get the same sweetness of sugar with um you know three quarters of the amount which is uh yeah which is why a lot of companies put those two together but it also like neutralizes the taste of the cooling effect and the the bitterness effect from stevia and same with monk fruit like monk fruit can be a little strange by itself <laughs> um but it's probably one of the best tasting ones it's better tasting uh, than stevia uh and yeah i mean stevia's fantastic monk fruits fantastic erythritol uh uses those bulking agents
0: have you played around with allulose at all uh no so
1: um i <laughs> so for anyone out there who is looking at a really comprehensive guide on Keto connect to put together a great YouTube video on all these sweeteners and how they react to certain sweeteners. And I, I'm pretty sure they were taking like two tablespoons at a time of certain sweeteners. And when it came to allulose, uh, mega was like, never, never again. <laughs> and I've heard the same thing from so many people is that it causes severe GI distress. Um, now, whilst allulose doesn't have a, a, a GI value, I'm pretty sure the GI value of it is zero. I tend to avoid it because uh, it's almost like playing with MCT oil. You can, mm. <laughs> you, if you have too much, it's definitely really, a threshold. yeah, it's it's definitely a, a you know, something, I, I feel like uh, you, you, you tend to have a bit of a responsibility when you create recipes using a particular sweetener. And if you're using too much of that sweetener and someone else doesn't have the same t- threshold as you do. Uh, it's going to be a really, really horrible time for them. <laughs> and also, like if I include MCT oil in any of my recipes, there's a big disclaimer. It's like, don't have too much. Like if you haven't had MCT oil before, please start with a teaspoon and then work your way up from there because if you start with two tablespoons, you are going to have the worst day ever. <laughs> and it's just,
0: yeah, I've been there. It's no good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be out there recommending uh sweeteners that could potentially have the same effect but i mean yes i have i have seen that allulose has is a is a great sweetener to use uh for things like caramel or um you know anything that's that needs to be in that viscous liquid
0: state then allulose is really good for that but other than that i i try and steer clear of it do you know anything about um like a lot of these like stevia and monkford for instance had the you know, the zero glycemic index, do you know if they have any effect on insulin? Because there's been some studies that indicate that even if they don't have a GI uh, index at all, they're still going to have a a potential impact on your insulin excretion.
1: Yeah. So I haven't actually done a lot of research into that um, because like the, you know, um, GI values, the main reason why blood sugar levels go up. Um, I have done tests on myself with a blood glucose meter, but unfortunately, blood glucose meters and ketone meters don't measure insulin levels. Um, mm-hmm. So, no, I, ha- I I don't have enough research in there to, to sort of give a definitive answer on that one. But, I, you know, as a caveat, um, if you drink too much coffee, you're going to bump your insulin levels up as well. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of things that are saying, well, it's going to kick you out of ketosis anyway, and it's like, well, you drink six cups of coffee a day; it's going to kick you out of ketosis. So, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a lot of grey area in there, and I think that a lot of research needs to be done because what what happens is that your body tastes something sweet, right? Your body's not stupid, um, and to you know, it prepares yourself, it prepares itself for either um, you know a sweet taste or the energy that comes along with sugar. And so what a lot of people do find, and this is really unfortunate um, with with keto desserts, is that uh, once they taste something sweet like stevia or monk fruit, but they don't get the, the after effect of sugar, or they don't get that um, insulin rise or the blood sugar level rise, uh, it can leave you sort of feeling a little bit empty. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where keto desserts sort of, uh, you need to you need to be careful with keto desserts because they can lead to a lot of um, overeating, uh, especially because keto desserts are generally made with a lot of fat. Like desserts are the best thing to make keto because most of them, most of them are fat bombs. <laughs> you don't have to deal with too much protein, really. Um, but the the other side of that is that you just need to watch out how many uh, how much of it you're having. Keep those portion controls um, pretty down pat. And if you're tracking your macros or you're tracking your calories, whatever you're doing, um, that tends to be quite easy. And you can realize, oh, okay this cheesecake has a fair amount of of, of calories for, for today. So I'm only going to have a little slice, whereas someone else might go, oh, you know, it's keto. I'm just going to eat the whole thing. Um, so yeah. you, still, <laughs> you, you still need to be careful. But, um, yeah, I think...
0: Uh, keto dessert should be eaten before the main meal it's like the the early <laughs> dessert you have that and then, then the the main meal will satisfy the hunger cravings
1: that's right that's definitely right and i'm definitely not one to say that uh because it's a keto dessert you can have it for breakfast like you still need to you still need to treat as as dessert just because it's healthier than normal uh it doesn't mean you can you know go crazy on it so there is a bit of a um you know there's a bit of a limit i don't know what effect that has on your insulin levels but for me, using stevia, using monk fruit, and using erythritol keeps uh, my ketone levels pretty high. So if that's any indication, some other people might have more of an effect. Uh, you know, And this could be personal too. It could be personal on how much of your body releases insulin uh, and how much of a tolerance you build up to either stevia or monk fruit or, or erythritol. I think more studies need to be done. Um, and I think that there's, there's definitely a, a, a large... Uh, hole in the market there where I think research would definitely help fill that gap
0: yeah it's, it's I think they've they've made steps towards developing an, an insulin meter that tests oh, insulin really? um, yeah I don't know when that's going to come out or, or what the stance is or what the, the status is on that rather but that would be an incredibly useful tool because there are some things that, that are in the shade of grey where like you, you can't just know from glucose and ketone testing alone um but we're not there yet. Hopefully sooner rather than later that, that'll come out. Um wh- what is the, the the next topic you were talking about, the 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 flowers and everything, right? The the baking agents?
1: Yeah, so there's there's uh the low carb flowers and also the, the binding agents. Uh and the binding agents I, I, I kind of feel they're a little bit optional, so we'll step into the the flowers for now. So we've got <clears throat> almond flour, coconut flour, psyllium husk uh sesame seed flour they're pretty much the 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 main ones that i try and stick with uh there are plenty of other flowers out there but um again you need to watch the carbohydrate level you need to most gluten-free flowers are actually higher in carbohydrates than normal wheat flour so you just need to make sure that the one you're using is pretty low in total carbohydrates and also pretty low in fiber too um, now almond flour I tend to use a lot because what happens with almond flour is that you can replace almond flour one to one ratio with wheat flour that always works in baking. So if you have your mom's, you know, chocolate chip cookie recipe and it says one cup of wheat flour, then you can definitely go ahead and create your own recipe using one cup of almond flour. Uh, now that's really handy. That ratio is really handy when you're talking about, um, flowers because you don't have to alter any, um, Liquid values, you don't have to test it a million times to try and figure out <laughs> what the best way forward is going to be. Um, so that's why I use almond flowers. Now, almonds um, are high in lectins, uh, so they can be, um, you know, they can trigger autoimmune responses for some people. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. also, a lot of kids, when they go to school, uh, they're, they're generally like nut free zones. Uh, which means that, you know, baking things for your kids with almond flour is sort of out of the question. Um, And also people with nut allergies are probably going to, uh, you know, have a really, really hard time trying to (laughs) buy almond flour anywhere close to it. So the the second one is sesame seed flour. Now, sesame seeds are a seed. They're not a nut. um, And they're the best um, substitute for uh, nuts in keto baking. Uh, A lot of people, for some reason, haven't figured this out yet because they always tend to use coconut flour first. Um, But try sesame seed flour because whilst coconut's not a nut, it's a droop technically, most people avoid coconut anyway because it just has nut in the name and they just get really scared. So that's totally fine. Coconuts can stay you over there uh sesame seed flour is fantastic because it has the same ratio as almond flour so your mum's chocolate chip cookie recipe one cup of wheat flour then you would also use one cup of sesame seed flour now you generally like in australia you can't really buy sesame seed flour so what i do is i just buy a huge bag of sesame seeds and grind them up in the um, food processor and use those and they can be used for keto desserts it can be used for keto bread these different types of things sesame seed flour when you buy it maybe on amazon or something a lot of people have said that it's got like a really weird metallic taste or it has like a really it's just got a really strange taste and they go that's weird because i generally make my own so i would probably recommend making your own as well so almond um, flour, sesame seed f- flour <clears throat> great substitutes um coconut flour uh is is really good too now what coconut flour does that the other ones don't is they absorb, it absorbs a lot of liquid. And now there's a lot of confusion on like the ratio and how many eggs you add and you know, all this stuff. But really the only thing you need to worry about is that because coconut flour absorbs liquid, you just use less coconut flour. And that ratio, if you were using one cup of almond flour or one cup of wheat flour, you would use one quarter of a cup of coconut flour, for the same recipe. Um, so now just cut it in half
0: basically, uh, cut it in quarter. Oh, you said it so one half cup of the others in a quarter cup or one cup to one quarter cup? Yeah, and this is where it gets confusing. <laughs> um, so, so
1: <laughs> one cup of almond flour equals one quarter of a cup of coconut flour. So, quarter of a cup, which is like I think it's two ounces in America, it's 60 mil in Australia, um, is the same as one cup so 12 no eight ounces uh 230 mils of of um almond flour so um it's it's basically divided in half and then divided in half again
0: that's crazy how much less you have to use
1: yeah and now so what happens when you use coconut flour now coconut flour if you compare it one-to-one with almond flour it's much higher in carbs um it's it's much higher in fiber too but because you use so much less you actually end up having lower carb products um which is why coconut flour is really really handy uh on the ketogenic diet because it's lower total carbs lower uh, lower net carbs you you just get a lower carb product which is fantastic however coconut flour has some properties that um it's really easy to overdo Uh, so uh, I, I i i generally see a lot of recipes online uh, from other bloggers who maybe have just overdone the coconut flour a little bit and they just turn out really chalky or really 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 dry um, and so that's the only thing with coconut flour: is you just need to make sure that you're using that ratio really uh really correctly and it doesn't always it doesn't always match so that ratio might be different depending on how many uh depending on how much liquid you have you know? so, it's not a hard and fast rule so you have to do a lot of recipe testing with coconut flour um, but and also what happens with coconut flour is it absorbs over time and so if you put a quarter of a cup of coconut flour into your brownie mixture and it still looks like slop <laughs> it's just because you haven't waited enough so generally when you're using coconut flour you just need to wait another five minutes um, to to get it to absorb that liquid and become more of a, you know, a flour as opposed to Just something you've added and it doesn't change the (laughs) it doesn't change the recipe at all um and then the last one is psyllium husk now psyllium husk uh is either is either you know just psyllium husk or psyllium husk powder um in australia they're both the same thing but i know that other countries get that that there's like a bit of a difference um so psyllium husk powder is really helpful more as a binding agent than a flour, but it tends to you use way more of it than you would a binding agent so psyllium husk is really good for trapping air in a particular um, recipe so think about creating keto bread rolls it needs a lot of well first of all it needs a lot of air to actually come out of the uh, ingredients that you're using so eggs baking powder Um, a lot of people use apple cider vinegar and um, uh, baking powder which also causes a reaction you think about those science experiments that you used to do at school and you put yeah. vinegar with with baking powder or bicarb soda or something and it just goes everywhere um, that's essentially what is happening inside a keto bread roll but to actually hold the air inside and to make it sort of um, expand out you need psyllium husk psyllium husk sort of turns into a gel once it's mixed with water um, and can be really useful in that respect so uh, Cilium husk is more used in keto breads and and that sort of stuff. In desserts, I don't find it's particularly useful. Um, so it is a flour, but that sort of leads me into binding agents. And the reason why binding agents are really helpful is that when you use wheat flour, wheat flour has a particular protein called gluten, and gluten for some people uh, is toxic. But um, gluten has a physical property where it's able to bind and hold things together. Um, and when you start using now I as a kid, we used to have gluten-free bread and gluten-free everything because my mum's a an nutritionist mm-hmm. and uh, she was on the gluten-free train. but companies hadn't like caught on to the fact that gluten-free bread tastes disgusting um, <laughs> because it would it would just crumble. Like you'd, you'd slice a piece off. And the whole thing
0: would just break into a million pieces. Kind of like that tapioca bread, that like really low gluten tapioca bread. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it's simply because they, they didn't understand, um, you know, moving from like it wasn't so popular, moving from wheat bread to, uh, non, a, a non gluten uh, flour of some sort. You need a binding agent to be able to hold, hold those th- things together. So it doesn't, uh, just work for breads. It also works in desserts, and I tend to use a lot of binding agents in desserts in small amounts, just because uh, sometimes you know, like the cream cheese just isn't going to cut it. <laughs> um, so the binding agents that I tend to recommend and uh, use as a, as a replacement for gluten are either guar gum, gelatin, agar agar, psyllium husk, like I was talking before, or xanthan gum. Now, um, gelatin is fantastic because gelatin, uh, I think gelatin's probably the best one out there. Um, it is made from dehydrated parts of animals, like including the skin and the bones and the tissue and stuff. Um, but it it helps improve your gut health and digestion similar to collagen. Yeah, so it's
0: really good for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So collagen is um, you know, the the main sort of uh protein building block. And then gelatin is like a hydrolyzed form of of collagen now this is from my research so if if anyone out there is more versed on gelatin then uh definitely feel free to correct me but uh, uh, uh glycine is in gelatin and it's also in collagen but the glycine from gelatin can help the mucus lining in your stomach and help balance out your digestive enzymes so it's sort of it helps um it helps improve methionine levels or it, it at least neutralizes uh, excessive methionine and so what happens especially on a carnival diet actually um you're, because you're eating a lot of red meat your methionine levels will increase and also your homocysteine levels will increase and so gelatin which is in, important to you know like if you're eating bones and you're eating lots of bone broth and that sort of stuff is really important to help neutralize that methionine level um so gelatin used in that sort of way is fantastic gelatin was also really helpful in baking because it sets or it creates like a gel substance um mm-hmm. so gelatin's really good for uh in america you would call it jello i think in australia we call it jelly. Yeah,
0: what, what do you call it there jelly Jelly.
1: yeah which is jam for you right <laughs> yeah that's jam for us <laughs> oh man this gets confusing um so yeah i mean gelatin's fantastic to use probably one of the better ones out there the other ones uh so uh, guar gum and xanthan gum they're sort of on the same um spectrum so guar gum absorbs water and it's made from the legumes of guag beans uh and it's actually a type of polysaccharide but because you use so little of it in a particular recipe um guar gum can really help bind those ingredients together and it's actually mostly fiber anyway so it's a digestible fiber um and and so, guar gum and not was anthem gum, I think it was guar gum. It was used in like uh, weight loss pills for ages. And there was a pill back in the 90s, I think, called Calban 3000, which was uh, like 100% guar gum. And people would take a lot of tablets and it would swell up in their stomach. And it actually caused um, some pretty detrimental health <laughs> issues. So, be careful with with, with uh, excessive quantities of, of guar gum, but the amount you would use in baking is so little. Like you would use a half a half teaspoon, one teaspoon, that's totally fine. People were taking like tablespoons and tablespoons and tablespoons at a time for that to be disastrous. Um, so, guar gum, really helpful to actually bind ingredients together. Same with xanthan gum. Now, xanthan gum is made uh, from fermentation, but it doesn't itself, it doesn't ferment uh, itself. So things that are made from fermentation are like vanilla essence. Um, actually, that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> but the only thing you need to make sure with xanthan gum is that you're using a gluten-free version um, because a lot of xanthan gums are actually produced from wheat. So you don't want ones that are produced from wheat. You want something that is gluten-free. Um, the other one, so agar. Agar is, is similar to gelatin, But what agar agar is really good for is really setting hard. And so um, in Australia, we have this thing called bubble tea. I I don't know whether you guys have it, but it it Um, comes. Bubble tea? uh, Bubble tea, yeah. so Bubble tea. I haven't heard of that. It's like jelly in a tea. Um, And they're like really small pieces of jelly in a tea. Uh, I think it's because we live so so close. Well, Australasia, Asia. It comes from the Asian regions. uh, And... um, yeah it's it's like jelly that's set with agar agar so it becomes really like chewy uh and you you get these big straws and you it like you know generally jacked full of sugar so i wouldn't recommend normal <laughs> bubble tea <laughs> but um uh it's you know it's set with with agar agar and the jelly in there's uh really quite hard and, and chewy and it's agar agar is made from red algae and it's like a vegan alternative to gelatin because obviously gelatin's made from animals uh, agar agar is not but it sets much harder than gelatin and psyllium husk powder mm. same thing um uh, not same but it is more of like a bread use uh than i would say a strictly dessert use but i was talking a little bit about the psyllium husk before um but it's made from seeds and it's and it's actually the main ingredient in metamucil so if you can't find psyllium husk powder you might might be better off using metamucil i don't know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but but you know, there's that. There, those are the main ones out there. I think there's there's plenty of. Uh, do you use any um, any binding agents in the keto bricks at all?
0: No, no. So the keto bricks. I mean, it's all like the the ingredients that we have on the homepage. There's only seven. Well, it depends what flavor, but there's like anywhere from five to six ingredients. Um, like the protein powder has sub-ingredients, you know, but right. everything once melted and once it solidifies, it's just, I mean, that, that's its good enough to just stick together as is. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so because it's a, a
1: you know, a hard solid product, you, you don't need it. Um, things like um, brownies, things like cakes. So, so this is where the binding agents can get confusing for some people because they'll go ahead and make a cake with xanthan gum, um, but instead they should be using gelatin because gelatin will actually... Um, it, it'll it'll have that like pound cake texture when you when you create a cake with it, as opposed to xanthan gum will have more of a bread texture. So depending on what sort of cake you want to make for your mum, depends how much you love your mum. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want a cake cake, then use gelatin. If you want a xanthan gum bread sort of area, like use those ones. But yeah, it's it's helpful in in some desserts, but but not all. Uh, like custard uh can definitely uh gelatin's a really good use in custard uh restart later um sorry what, what about
0: <laughs> uh, what about like chia seeds like chia seeds once they get wet they kind of like a gel like substance could use those yeah totally so um chia seeds uh uh
1: they are good replacements for egg at when when there's very little egg in a recipe um you can use chia seeds if you grind them up that will turn into similar to psyllium husk powder Um, but i i find that using chia seeds is quite expensive because chia seeds here in australia are quite expensive and when you grind them up you kind of need a fair bit of it to actually get the same um you know the same holding properties like you would for xanthan gum and jealous and those types of things i find psyllium husk powders are much better use than um than chia seeds but you definitely can do that what you what i tend to find chia seeds really good for is when you're making something like a seeded bread uh, and it's going to have seeds in it anyway you don't you don't have to add any other binding agent you just put um you just put chia seeds into the mix and it'll help bind all those ingredients together and what happens is that when chia seeds mix with water they create a gel and so a lot of um, puddings will actually use chia seeds if you've ever had uh, chia seed pudding you'll know about it because you end up with them all in your teeth Um, (laughs) and uh, yeah so they're they're really really good um, but I don't use them as much because they are quite expensive
0: what about uh, like the like the fat head style doughs and crust using the cheese kind of as a as a particularly strong binding agent you ever use those
1: yeah so when um like when you use cheese and desserts it's only for particular desserts a lot of um because a lot of desserts originate from France and Italy and those types of European countries uh, and then you know that the world has sort of put their own spin on those um, but but yeah when it comes to uh pizzas um, using the mozzarella cheese in the, in there to create that stringy sort of texture is amazing um but i haven't really found an application for that in the desserts so much and what happens when you are using a lot of mozzarella cheese is that you're very quickly adding up the caloric content of something so when you make a a, a fathead pizza um you know You you probably can't eat the whole thing just because it's so dense. (laughs) Um, Whereas a lot of the other cheeses, like uh, cream cheese or um, maybe uh, cream, you can use in particular ways so that they're either not just like a a solid liquid; they're not so calorie dense. Um, You know, if you were to whip cream, then it doubles in value. Um, You know, cream cheese probably isn't so calorically dense. I haven't found a particular use for um mozzarella cheese in desserts but it could be an option for people who are looking to avoid the binding agents so all these binding agents are optional by the way you don't need to use them you uh you would use them if you're trying to replicate a a dessert exactly and so my idea with the book is that i want people to be able to make a tiramisu that tastes like a tiramisu i don't want people to make Mm -hmm. a keto tiramisu that tastes really bad <laughs> yeah, yeah but <laughs> and not that binding agents are going to change the taste of it but they're going to add to the texture or they're going to um you know be able to make them a little bit more more workable
0: what was the uh so you mentioned that the tiramisu was the hardest to kind of nail down was that was that the hardest recipe in the whole book that, that you found trying to make as close to the carb-based version as possible
1: yeah definitely um so because tiramisu is like it has that light fluffy um texture to it it's actually quite hard to make keto (laughs) um and the the uh, it's really hard to there's a lot of sugar in normal tiramisu there's a lot of sugar there's a lot of alcohol there's a lot of um other like things at play that are really hard to just substitute you know and so i probably recipe tested tiramisu like 10 times maybe maybe close to 15 to get it right um and because you have to make so much of it all in one go, um, oh, it was just disastrous. Like the the final product I'm super happy with and also my partner Adele's work is super happy with. But the process of like recipe testing those, those that particular dessert was was really, really tough. But I think that um, if it's tough, it's good because you know that it's not right. You don't want to just, I, I don't put recipes out there that are just, that are just okay like i i put yeah. recipes out there that are sensational or i try and make really really good and that doesn't come from just recipe testing at once it comes from three four five you know potentially 15 times to make sure that it's right um which which yeah the, the food waste just like really gets to me but um you know my building loves <laughs> loves keto food so so i tend to put it out there and say hey i've got a tiramisu it doesn't taste that great but if anyone wants it you know
0: yeah i bet, I bet they're not complaining too much that's right yes free food everyone loves free food i didn't i didn't look um, to see but do you have a, a recipe for cinnamon rolls by chance i do and it actually damn it that does use mozzarella cheese
1: um so yeah so um the the cinnamon rolls you basically it's made out of fathead dough and you roll that up uh and there's like a cinnamon mixture in between and then you bake it and you have uh cream on top um yeah that that recipe's in there that was actually one of the first recipes that was ever up on my website and for some reason it just hit number one on google and i was like whoa <laughs> okay <laughs> what's going on now other people have since um you know sort of topped me on those ones but. Um, yeah that recipe's in there it's uh i think it might be towards the back i don't have the book in my hand but yeah it's definitely in there cinnamon rolls um does use mozzarella cheese as the binding agent no binding agents in there so you are correct in that one
0: i'm gonna have to try that for sure there's um so my father makes these cinnamon rolls using a recipe that was passed down to him from his granny so my great great granny and they're world famous, you know, like the lineage passed down from generation to generation. And he's all mad at me because I can't pass down these cinnamon rolls to my kids because I'm (laughs) keto, you know, and he like totally guilt trips me every time I'm over there and he's making them. He's like, I guess you won't be eating these cinnamon rolls. I mean, (laughs) it's just like crazy. So I've got to, I've got to make a keto cinnamon roll and then present this to him as like a good alternative that I'll be able to consume and pass down with his, you know, methods, but with, with your recipe, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to try that one for sure. Definitely, and the thing
1: to watch out for cinnamon rolls, especially traditional ones, is they have they like really puff out, and th- that like that's just something that you can only use wheat bread for, uh, sorry, wheat flour for, and they have these you know big fluffy you know cinnamon rolls that expand out and fill the actual baking tray. Um, so the, the the keto ones probably won't be quite as dramatic as that but definitely tastes just as good. So hopefully he likes them. Um, it's all, it's always nerve-wracking when you <laughs> yeah. when you give recipes to people who have such high expectations, but I think it's probably going to be a winner.
0: No, nah, it'll be good, man. I'll, I'll make that this week for sure. I'll make <laughs> it and I'll tag you in it. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> so what, uh, what what's next, man? Like what's, uh, what's on the horizon? So um, a, a lot of the people who follow me
1: on YouTube have been loving uh the meal plans that i'm doing um or the meal preps and you know everything uh and so I, like what i would do is i would i would set up one week and so i do a lot of meal planning a uh, meal planning is the reason why i started um the keto in the keto space because i could see that a lot of people were having trouble just you know finding what recipes to put together and so it's great mm-hmm. that you can have just individual keto recipes but being able to put them together is is something that's uh quite unique and so i've uh, been doing a lot of meal plans on youtube uh and it's they're probably my most popular uh videos because they they're just easy like i think people want easy like you know uh making desserts is fine that desserts tend to be like on the 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 tip of the pyramid when it comes to <laughs> um the keto diet you know it's there's still a dessert right and so many people don't actually get to the dessert part they, they still struggle with what to eat um when to eat and and you know how to sequence that so a lot of the uh, meal plans that I've done on YouTube I've been super hard at work I'm currently building a course called the keto meal prep pro uh, and that's going to just walk th- people through creating those uh meal plans meal preps Uh, and yeah, it's, it, you're giving videos for people because the, the problem is a lot of, a lot of meal prepping or meal planning, uh, just either, either is too hard for most people or they've got no idea what it looks like. And so putting together videos for people has been so helpful, uh, and, and people really, really appreciate it. Uh, so that's sort of next for me, but I, but I also have uh, to, to go along with the keto desserts book. Now these aren't yet. Uh, out yet. So uh, people are getting a bit of a, an insight into this but I'm currently putting together a sweetener and also some binding agents that I'll be selling here in Australia because a lot of people find it really hard to get xanthan gum and guar gum and, uh, and agar agar like they have to go to all these weird specialty stores. Um and same with the sweeteners. Uh there's it's it's not generally like widely available and so I'm putting together a mixture of monk fruit and erythritol that's going to be out uh, and I'm putting together some, some binding agents out there as well so that people can just come to uh, me and say, look, I want to be able to make your brownies. I want to be able to make, <laughs> you know, the, 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 lemon coconut cake, right. And they go, I, I, I've no idea where to find Xanthan gum. I've no idea where to find guar gum. Oh, I can just get it from Aaron. Fantastic. So those, those products are coming out soon. I recently just went through a whole weekend of labeling products and I'm sure you have. i'm sure you're very well versed in (laughs) labeling products and doing all that oh yeah all kinds of fun stuff yeah it's uh it's really brutal but that one's gonna they're gonna be out soon which is uh really fantastic i i don't do that myself i hand that off to a particular manufacturer who does uh does all the heavy lifting for me which is fantastic Uh, and also much safer than doing it in an apartment (laughs) yeah Um, but yeah those are the those are the two things that are like directly on my horizon i'm currently in the midst of writing another cookbook i can't discuss the topic of that one too much yet but that one is going to be really really helpful like the dessert ones are tasty this one's going to be helpful
0: well i'm intrigued by the the meal prep man because like for me coming from a bodybuilding background, like meal prep has just always been a huge part of my life. I mean, there'll be days where I'll just, you know, prep the food for the entire week, you know, in that one day. And I never really thought anything of it, but people that don't really have that background, it's like an audit but it, it's strange, man. Like any picture I have of like all my Tupperware is just totally covering the tabletop. Like those pictures get all kinds of engagement because people are just intrigued by what that much quantity looks like and how they, you know, consume it. So dive into that a little bit, man, like how how are you going about the meal preps
1: yeah cool okay so uh meal prep is is hard because what a lot of people find or uh, like a lot of uh, meal prepping that's out there already either only covers five days or um you know only covers the the working week or you know what about the weekends <laughs> uh, and so that's where it gets difficult because um uh, fresh well protein in particular so uh, meat chicken uh fish, those types of proteins don't actually stay that good in the fridge for any longer than like three or four days. So try and stretch that to seven days. for for Like most people just do meal prep wrong and they get to the seventh day, they've eaten their last chicken meal and they throw up everywhere because they've poisoned themselves. (laughs) Um, And uh, and unfortunately, it just happens so often. Uh, And so, you know, um, part of meal prepping is also uh, like food safety and that's that's like the 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 biggest part for me is that uh you need to make a few of these meals make a few of these uh you know breakfasts or maybe some easy desserts and then figure out which ones to put in the freezer for later um and so you know being able to create either freezer friendly meals or at least eating all of your fresh food to start with um, that sequencing is really helpful for people. Uh, also being able to create just really easy recipes. So you might find a lot of recipes online that just have like 15 different ingredients. Um, and whilst it's you know great to make the best Kavanara pasta possible and replicating it identically uh meal prepping or meal planning doesn't really work that way you just want something easy that you can create in like two or three hours on a sunday uh, and have your entire week's worth planned out Uh, and so i think that is, is is really helpful for people just creating like really easy simple recipes um there's you know things like just steak and brussels sprouts that it's it's like when you strip back the keto diet to its to its core it is really simple. It's a very, very simple diet, but most people just want to complicate it. Um, and so, I think the going through those meal prep videos, going through the meal plans, working with people has been so eye-opening because um, it, when you when you assume something, um, it, it it makes <laughs> it makes it really difficult to be able to uh, communicate with people. And so, you just assume that people have a healthy diet. You assume that they're doing all the right things. Um, but when you go ahead and you show them, they're like oh i wasn't doing that i have never done that my entire life thank you (laughs) um so a a big thing as well is that switching from plastic to um to uh, glass containers uh, is super super helpful because plastic uh you can really only reheat in the microwave whereas glass you can reheat in the oven as well so if you're trying to avoid the microwave then using glass is fantastic for that Uh, you can also just make uh, meal preps in the glass container itself so if you're thinking about making let's say a lasagna for instance um you can actually just make it in the meal prep container you don't have to like put it in a baking tray and then separate it out and then put it in the meal prep containers afterwards you can just do it in the actual container it's actually like a baking tray itself um so they're, and, they're, and they're really cheap like the glass ones here in australia you can get them from kmart or ikea or you can get the really good ones like the pyrex ones but I found the the cheaper ones are good too. Um, but again, like you're probably better off getting the the Pyrex ones just because there's no lead contamination or anything. but yeah, the plastic ones they tend to like hold a lot of the uh, leftover food. So just say you've had turmeric in your in your meals for the past three days, your containers will be yellow forever. Um, yeah, whereas, yeah yeah
0: using glass is is really good for that we switched everything over to glass to just avoid all the you know the artificial estrogens that are in the plastics which are not really that big of an issue if you're freezing them but as mm-hmm. soon as you heat them up or even just come to room temperature you know a lot of that can leach out so we've switched everything over to glass just simply to avoid all the hormones
1: yeah definitely and so like you can get bpa free ones but um it, there's there's bpa and there's bps and a lot of companies are still using bps instead of bpa mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely best to just get rid of plastic altogether um, and just stick with glass. I totally agree. Those estrogen mimicking properties are not going to be beneficial to anyone's health.
0: What do, you, what do you think is the best technique to reheating food from frozen? Like, if I'm, because like what I'm thinking about doing for this meal prep, which I haven't done in prior years is cause because you are right, you know, like I'll prep for a week's worth of food and then that, you know, six and seventh days meal is just like not optimal. It just doesn't yep. taste good. It's just <laughs> not, not fresh. It's not appetizing. <laughs> um so what I'm thinking about doing is putting all of my, you know, like the first three days worth of food in the Pyrex and then everything else I'll put like in freeze-dried or not freeze-dried, but like vacuum sealed uh, you know, pouches like so they can really, yeah. you know, keep the freshness up. And then freeze those and then when it's time to eat those i don't like waiting for things to thaw like I, i'm all about simplicity and efficiency so i think i might just throw them you know take them out of the package from frozen and then i put them in the air fryer or something because the air fryer is pretty good about keeping things fresh uh, and crispy and it, it doesn't seem like soggy
1: yeah totally so um i did a podcast last week with grass-fed girl um I think, Yeah. And she was saying that she cooks steak from frozen to
0: cooked in the air fryer in like 10 minutes. A lot of people are doing that man i had i had a call i had a podcast last week with the owner of us wellness Meats, and that's how he prefers it really wow okay
1: yeah, yeah. so so we uh, so we bought an air fryer uh, a while ago and i was like you know this is essentially just a small oven like what the hell's going on so we actually got rid of it we gave it to <laughs> my partner's uncle and he loves it um and they were really expensive at the time so i'm i'm disappointed in myself but the they are essentially an oven so if you don't want to go out there and buy an air fryer um then just turn your oven on full bore and you'll get a similar effect but yes uh that works really well for steaks i don't know how well it would work for something in a in like a glass container uh in the air fryer but obviously you would try and you'd remove the container um in the oven works really well in the microwave does work well uh you know in two minutes you've got Heated food, um, which is really good if you're in a pinch. But what I find is that uh, it's best to take things out of the freezer the night before you're going to eat them. So if you know, like, you meal prep for the entire week, you know that on the sixth and seventh day, or the fifth and sixth and seventh day, you've got stuff in the freezer. You can just simply take the fifth day out on the fourth day, put it in the fridge so it's not so frozen, and then heat it up from there. um, So it'll be a bit quicker. Uh, What I tend to do is. and now and you need to watch this um but you can just put it out on the on the kitchen bench so for me here in australia it's currently winter so it's not super hot i probably wouldn't do that in summer because 40 degree celsius heat and and fresh or like six day old food is not going to (laughs) it's not going to work either (laughs) yeah so so uh oven like 20 minutes in the oven fantastic two minutes in the microwave it's great for time but i mean like Microwaves are handy, just don't use them that often. Um, and what I find as well is that you can put uh, you can put the plug in your sink in the kitchen, so you just like put a plug in there, pour some like hot water in there, and then put your container in that hot water, and it will come down to room temperature much much quicker. Uh, I do that with with meats and things. So if you have uh, maybe let's say um, some beef or ground beef, beef mince, uh, you put that in a hot puddle of water essentially (laughs) um and it will defrost very quickly uh so that's another good way as well uh you want to be careful when using glass because it reacts really violently to uh, like intense temperature changes so you don't want to go from yeah you don't want to go from freezing to super hot so what you can do um and i was telling um aaron ad keto about this a little while ago is that he was saying that a lot of his mason jars, like he would pour hot water into his mason jars with with the coffee um, and, and the bottoms would fall out. And, and I was saying to him, I was like, okay, this is what you need to do. What you need to do is just put a little bit of hot water in there first and swish it around. That will bring the glass up to temperature and then you can pour the hot water in there. Instead of it going from like room temperature to instantly hot and a vast amount of instantly hot water, uh, that temper- that gradual temperature change will help the glass um and same thing like if you're putting like a glass container into hot water you just want to like you know gently wet the outside of the of the glass first maybe with a, a tea towel that's got some uh, hot water in it you know just rub it on the outside and that will bring the glass up to temperature a little bit before you go putting it into the hot water or at least like let it sit on the bench for maybe a couple of minutes but all of those suggestions are not instant (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know if they're suitable substitutes for you
0: no no that's that's good man i'm always open to ideas when it comes to meal prepping because i mean the more streamlined i can make the operation the better what what are your good go-to meal prep foods like just some good staples uh egg roll in a bowl um
1: chicken burrito bowls um like anything done in the oven so uh like sheet pan bakes those types of things Uh, You can actually do ones with like salmon where you wrap the salmon in alfoil and you put all different herbs and spices. The thing that uh, a lot of people don't know when it comes to meal prepping is how to actually use particular ingredients. So, um, you know, newsflash, you don't need a meal plan to be keto. But what helps is that if you have a lot of chicken or a lot of beef or a lot of pork, whatever that is, um, there's a book that, or there's two books. One book I find particularly helpful, it's called The Flavor Bible. Now, this book is used by a lot of chefs around the world uh, and it helps to pair flavors together. Now, uh, for something like pork, um, I didn't know this until I actually bought the book, but um, pork and fennel and garlic and aniseed work like magic. They are absolute magic combinations. And in the book, they're called flavor um, aficionados, flavor aficionados. (laughs) and for each ingredient you can think of so uh like last night i was going like what what goes well with coconut what what are the flavors that go really well with coconut turns out vanilla and lemongrass go really really well together with coconut and so and what book, is the name of that book again it's called the
0: flavor bible okay it's, i'll check that out
1: flavor bible and there's a, so there's another book that's also called the flavor thesaurus sorry i'm just looking around at my bookshelf <laughs> um the flavor thesaurus now the flavor the Thesaurus is a little bit different because it doesn't necessarily um, teach you how to use individual ingredients. But what it does teach you how to do is to to pair different um, palettes together. So you'll have like earthy palettes and citrusy palettes and uh, like hot palettes or um, sweet things. It, it'll help you be able to pair those things together better. So uh, another common mistake when people meal prep a lot is that uh you know your typical chicken and broccoli or whatever uh they just sprinkle some herbs on top of the the chicken and put it in the oven and it comes out great but you know after the th- third week of that you're done you are totally done and so knowing how to pair those different uh flavors together is is like going to open up uh, total new worlds for some people <laughs> um and a lot of the meal prepping courses that i do uh you know it's just done for you that stuff Isn't totally necessary. Um, But if you are looking at creating your own meal preps, then that book is a super handy transition. And I use it all the time. Like I, for creating recipes on my blog, I go, okay, what goes well with coconut, lemongrass, and vanilla? You try and create a, a recipe based around those three flavors. And voila, fantastic. They're in the book, they're actually called Flavor Aficionados. And what they did in the book is that they went around and they surveyed a lot of restaurants or a lot of chefs and and ask them, you know, what flavors go together with particular things, and so they have a full list of all of the flavors that can go well with something. But the ones that were mentioned multiple times are in bold, and then the ones that, like a, a, a what called flavor aficionados, um, are just like magic flavor combinations. They're listed at the very end of the paragraph. Um, so if anyone has the book, uh, I know uh, I, I do mention the book quite a bit on like instagram lives or facebook lives and people go yes i've got that book or like my uncle he's a chef he's got that book <laughs> um and it's well worth it I th- it's i don't know 30 or 40 dollars maybe um but it's it's your thesaurus into the world of culinary um nutrition i guess
0: yeah it's a it's a great book. no i won't I get that for sure i might use that to figure out what the next keto brick flavor is or something of that sort yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah because it's not just meal prep it's like creating recipes it's finding what works with bacon finding what works with yeah whatever it is with coffee um so yeah, yeah great 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 book or i can just send you images of it if you like
0: <laughs> hey I'll, I'll take i'll take it on man i'll, I'll start yep. this whole conversation has got my mouth watering, man i'm about to start making some cinnamon rolls right now <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> definitely uh and, and and if anyone uh is wondering yes the chocolate chip cookies are in there the chocolate chip cookies from my website super popular they're in the book um so yeah that that recipe is in there for anyone if they're asking that question
0: and if anybody which i'm sure a lot of people after listening to this podcast are interested in the book where would they go to find this book
1: so um if you go to the penguin random house uh website they have a list of all of the books that are available and then where you can actually buy them um, that's that's usually best if you're looking to buy it online you can get it on amazon i've just been pointing it to people to amazon recently which is you know just easy for people in the states um, but it's going to be available in walmart it's going to be available in sam's book club um you know all of those book retailers it'll be available there in hard copy so if you're looking to get a hard copy from the shops and you don't like ordering things online i totally get it uh, you can go down to your local bookstore and either ask them if they've got it or get them to get it. (laughs) Um, Here in Australia, so if you're listening to this podcast in Australia, uh, it won't be out until September. But my hopes are, and fingers crossed, if this happens, I'm going to jump for joy, uh, that it goes to Kmart. Like that would be an ultimate dream. But I sort of feel like maybe Kmart's the place where cookbooks go to die. So I don't know whether that's a (laughs) a dream or just like, a you know, (laughs) whether it's a good dream or not
0: it's funny man like in in the states kmart is is like the supermarket that's dead you know so that's <laughs> yeah. not a good thing not a good aspiration in the states but if it's a big thing in, in australia man more power to you
1: <laughs> oh man kmart is taken off in australia so they they got a new i don't know whether it's just australia probably they got a new uh ceo or marketing guy um and it just it, it has gone absolutely bananas like kmart is the place to go on the weekends if you're looking to like do uh, like redecoration of your house or you know anything um yeah came out super popular here in australia but it never used to be like that came out always used to be a bit of a dead uh, a dead shop as well I, th- I feel like target's a bit more of a dead shop here in australia
0: than. you yes, uh, see targets are popping of- here in the states
1: that's crazy right yeah yeah it's amazing how that works like you know you, you just think everything's going to be the same all, all throughout the world but um yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny how that works, especially in Australia too because like a, I feel like Australia likes to copy the U.S. in a lot of things. But, yeah, Kmart's definitely popping over here as well.
0: Huh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Where, where can people go to find out more about you, uh, like the website, the Instagram profile, et cetera, yep. et cetera?
1: Yeah, so the website, fatforweightloss.com.au. Uh, .au, I'll repeat that. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Instagram is fatforweightloss.com. Uh, Facebook, Fat for Weight Loss, Pinterest, Fat for Weight Loss, YouTube, Fat for Weight Loss. Uh, YouTube's uh, been one of my favorite social media platforms the past year. Um, and I was super, super glad to get one of those um, silver play buttons, which is just absolutely, absolutely crazy. Um, very proud of that one. So yeah, if you do want to head over to YouTube and find a recipe that you like, type it into the search box or um, you know, go over to my website, you can definitely check out more about what i'm talking about um or you can just you know get in contact with me send me a dm on instagram i'm i'm the only person who does all of this stuff i don't have a team so uh you're actually talking to me when you send me an email or send me a dm
0: very cool i appreciate that man i appreciate you being like the face of what you're building a lot of people outsource everything so it's it's cool to talk people that are you know walking what they're preaching
1: yeah for sure i i i think it's really important to be able to 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 talk to people you know uh, get in contact with people. I, I I, love just setting up one-on-ones with people. I just do it for free. Like I just want to see what problems they're having. I want to see, uh, you know, how I can create content better. And so, yeah, getting in contact with people. Ask me questions. Ask me any question. No question is a dumb question. Um, and if you feel like you're struggling, then, yeah, definitely head on over.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll be heading over to check out these meal prep videos for sure.
1: there's one that um i created it's probably about a year ago now that one's the most popular it's got nearly two million uh views and um yeah it's simple it's super super simple but you know the ones that are coming they're they're just as simple but probably um a little more uh lower in protein i guess um like more strict keto Whereas that one's more like a low-carb ketogenic approach. But yeah, definitely head on over. If anyone is interested, just type in keto meal plan or keto meal prep. Generally, one of my meal plans will come up.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, Aaron, I, I appreciate the time. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I have to get you on here again for a third run after this next book comes out.
1: Oh, man. Um, um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I, I really appreciate you taking out the time uh, to, yeah, to do this. Whenever I say your name, I always need to say your, na- your last name, Robert Sykes. Like I can't just say Robert, I have to say Robert Sykes. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, I-, I love it. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, super. Uh, I love what you're doing with this podcast and, um, just so easy to talk to you. So it's
0: really great. appreciate that, man. Really do. Once the next time, brother, you have a good one and, and keep killing it, man.
1: Will do. Thanks, mate.
0: Take care.